Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength. Um, it's good to see your faces again this morning, and looking forward to hearing what uh, Brother Glenn has for us, our very own Glenn Martin. Um, I think we'll we'll get started here uh, with... Went me with prayer, um, but Glenn, yeah, Glenn Martin is sharing on God wins at midnight. Um, I'm looking forward to his, this talk. So let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for a, a new day. And I thank you for the opportunities that you are going to give us today, um, to serve you and to be your people. I just pray that you would, um, guide us today and I, and may your will be done. May your kingdom come. Pray for Glenn as he shares. And I pray that you would, yeah, just open our, open our eyes to see, um, what you have for us in this passage. I pray that you would be with us in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. Well, go ahead, Glenn, and give us what you got. All right. Good morning, everyone. And uh, welcome here to Strength to Strength. I'm glad to be able to share this morning. So one of my uh, longtime interests in the scripture is the Old Testament. And that's what I'd like to look at here this morning. So I'm going to share my screen. So we're going to um, take a look at um, something I'm calling God Wins at Midnight. So Paul wrote to the Romans and he said that whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So the scriptures that um, Paul is referring to here is the Old Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 10 is where Paul gives the history of the Israelites as they um, left Egypt and, of course, the wilderness wanderings and all of that. And uh, Paul tells us that it's for our admonition. It's not just for historic or academic uh, purposes, but rather that we can grow in our obedience to, to our Lord. So um, these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the end, ends of the ages have come. And uh, that's uh, quite a quite a thought to, to think about how the things that are written in the Old Testament were written um, for us. So I'd like to look at the account of the Exodus and the account of Egypt. Egypt is uh, oftentimes referred to as a type of sin. And I, I think that's uh, very aptly so done. Pharaoh is uh, described as the type of Satan, and the nation that has oppressed the people of God is under the judgment of God. And looking at the account of the Exodus um, might sense some pity for them. I think we should uh, resist that temptation. It's the place of evil. It's the proud nation that had killed the innocents and uh, enslaved the righteous, and their time and their regime was quickly coming to an end. We have the plagues there by uh, Moses and Aaron, and um, nine of them uh, had occurred, and we're coming up on the tenth one. So God had told Moses that after the tenth plague, Pharaoh is going to drive Israel out of the land, and the people of God, under the direction of Moses, they will be liberated, and a new nation is going to be born. So I'm going to take a look at just um, a few verses from that account, and we have this. Uh, reading from Exodus chapter 12. Now it came to pass at midnight 
that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive women in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the cattle. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in all the land of Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, Go and serve the Lord as you said. Take also your sheep and oxen and go and bless me as well. The Egyptians also urged the people so as to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead. So it's quite quite an epic ending to that um, story. If Egypt wasn't destroyed by the nine plagues before this, um, it certainly lost its uh, prime power here in the in the final plague. It says there was not a house where there was not one dead. But one of the interesting details to me is what time this happened. It didn't happen at uh, midday or mid-afternoon or even at night, but it says very specifically that it happened at midnight. So it happened at midnight when everything was quiet, everything was dark. And, um, you know, sometimes we think about darkness as being a type of wickedness. And that actually has strong biblical precedent. We didn't just uh, make up that idea that uh, light represents something of God and darkness represents something of Satan, we get that from John 3. Jesus said that um, the condemnation is that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So this light is good, darkness is bad, is a, is a biblical idea. And Matthew uh, says that Jesus said that the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In John 12, a little, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. So, uh, we also have things that happen at night. We know about the um, betrayal of Judas. He walked out and it was night. So there'd be many such examples, but I only, I only say this to establish the idea that when we say that darkness represents uh, evil, something bad, and light represents something good, uh, that's a, a biblical concept. So at the Passover... In this time, uh, when Egypt had hardened itself against God, I think it's uh, very appropriate that the death angel should make its appearance at night and even at midnight. And interestingly, uh, that was the timing that God chose. God chose midnight as the time for the destruction of wickedness and the birth of a new nation. So um, besides the account that we have in the Exodus, there's another book I'd like to look at. And that is the, the wisdom of Solomon. So the wisdom of Solomon is one of the intertestamental uh, books. Um, and um, there's a retelling in this, in this book of the Exodus account. Like in this book, about 25% of the book is talking about the Exodus. And it's uh, very intriguing. It's very detailed. And um, it goes for about nine or ten chapters where it retells this account. And in the retelling of this account, I'm going to go through this uh, very quickly so we can get to the point, but there's uh, there's five different parts, and each different part 
It explains about how a specific um, plague or event was used to both punish the wicked and also reward the righteous simultaneously. So in chapter 11, it says, In return for the wrongdoing of their senseless reasoning, in which they were led astray, you punished them so they might learn that one is punished by the things by which he sins. And then in, it gives these examples following that. So the first one is about uh, water. And it says that water um, is how they sinned because they threw the Hebrew infants into the Nile. And then in exchange for that, uh, God plagued the Egyptians um, by turning their water into blood. And also God then used water to destroy the the Egyptians in the Red Sea. So it goes with that thought. And there's five of these uh, like that. The second one is about animals. Uh, they worshipped beasts. They worshipped uh, vile um, animals, serpents. And then in exchange for that, God plagued them with frogs and lice and flies and locusts. And then God used animals to bless the the people of God. He sent them quail. So um, we also have something similar with um, rain. We have something similar with uh, darkness and light. And then finally, we come to the last plague about the Passover. And in this section is where I would like to to look at. So there's a chapter that's, uh, I'm sorry, there's a verse, a certain section in chapter 18 that I'm going to read here. It's um, from verses 8 through 16. And I'm um, just going to read that passage now. So it says, For you punished our enemies with the same means by which you called and glorified us. For in secret, the holy children of good people offered sacrifices and in harmony with the divine law, made a covenant that the saints would share alike in good things and in dangers. And already they were singing the praises of their fathers. But the discordant cry of their enemies resounded and their pitiful outcry and mourning for their children spread abroad. And the servant was punished with the same penalty as the master, and the common man suffered the same thing as the king. They all together, by one name of death, had innumerable dead persons, for there were not enough living even to bury them, because of one critical moment their valued children were destroyed. For they disbelieved everything because of their sorceries, but of the destruction of their firstborn, they acknowledged the people to be God's son. Uh, that note there about they disbelieved everything because of their sorceries. You will recall how Moses and Aaron, they were doing these um, plagues, and then their magicians were able to do the same thing. And so it's saying that because they were able to replicate these same miracles, then they didn't uh, give credibility to Moses and Aaron until the Passover, until the death of the firstborn. For while gentle silence embraced everything, and night at its own speed was half over, your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of a doomed land, a relentless warrior carrying the sharp sword of your irrevocable command. And he stood and filled all things with death and touched heaven while standing on earth. So it's on this section here, verses 14 through 16, that I'd like to spend most of the time. So we're going to look at this section here a little bit more closely. So first of all, um, in the second line, first line, while gentle silence embraced everything, so we have a quiet night, and night at its own speed was half over. If you read this in the King James or in the Brentons, which is the 
Septuagint, they have the same wording, word for word. It says that night was in the midst of her swift course. And uh, it simply means it was midnight. Okay. So verse, um, of course, we know it was midnight because Exodus tells us it was midnight as well. So it says that while gentle silence embraced everything and and it was midnight, night was, you know, at its own speed was half over. It means it was midnight. Your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of a doomed land. And then um, going down to to the last line there, it says, He stood and filled all things with death and touched heaven while standing on earth. And uh, that's interesting because this idea of touching heaven while standing on earth, uh, we have something similar given in Second Chronicles, I believe it is, uh, where David had performed the census. And in the uh, punishment there, the angel was standing between heaven and earth. It seems like a posture uh, for for judgment. All right, so back to that uh, second line where it says about night at its own speed was half over. If that sounds familiar, if that phrase sounds familiar or that idea, it might be because of a song. So in your song book, if you have this book, uh, Hymns of the Church, Song number 222. I'm going to read this song, and I have it on the screen here as well, if you want to follow after there. This song is called uh, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, and I'm going to read it. Lo, how a rose air blooming from tender stem hath sprung, of Jesse's lineage coming, as men of old have sung. It came a floweret bright amid the cold of winter, when half spent was the night. So the last line there says, half spent was the night. The next verse, it says, Isaiah was foretold it, the rose I have in mind. With Mary we behold it, the virgin mother kind, to show God's love of right, she bore to men a savior when half spent was the night. There's that phrase again. This flower whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air, dispels with glorious splendor the darkness everywhere. True man, yet very God, from sin and death he saves us and lightens every load. So when you uh, read the song or sing the song, it's pretty clear that it's not talking about the Exodus, and it's not talking about Egypt, and it's not talking about Pharaoh. Uh, what is it talking about? Well, it's um, it's pretty clearly talking about the incarnation, about the time when God became flesh to dwell among us. It's talking about the, the birth of the Messiah. And it says that happened when half spent was the night. So in plain English, uh, this song is saying that Jesus was born at midnight. So there's um it's not a new idea at all that Jesus was born at night because Luke tells us that there were in the same country shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and uh that detail has been picked up by hymn writers a lot of them talk about this silent night holy night or the common song oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear savior's birth in the song, The First Noel, there's a line that says, On a cold winter's night that was so deep. And then we have the, the song, Veiled in Darkness, Judah Lay. And in that one, it, there's a line that says, While across the shadowy night. So, so Luke says it, and a lot of songs are saying, Jesus was born at night. But if we take this a little bit farther, uh, we have this song that we just looked at, number 222, says that Jesus was born at midnight. 
It says, when half spent was the night. But there's other ones as well. The same book, uh, the song just before it, it says, it came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. And um, in the same book, again, number 208, we have the song, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying. It says in that song, Midnight Hears the Startling Voices. So these songwriters that say it happened at midnight, did they just uh, make this up? Or or why did they think that Jesus was born at midnight? Like, were they just, um, was this just a poetic thing? And they just uh, decided to assign a time during the night? So I'd like to uh, reread some of the same verses that we looked at before from the Wisdom of Solomon. But this time, instead of thinking about the Exodus, uh, let's read the same words, but let's think about the incarnation of Jesus. And it says, For while gentle silence embraced everything, okay, it's a quiet night, and night at its own speed was half over, so it's midnight, your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of a doomed land, a relentless warrior carrying the sharp sword of your irrevocable command. And he stood and filled all things with death and touched heaven while standing on earth. So in the in the context, it's clearly talking about the exodus from Egypt. But, but nonetheless, this messenger from heaven to visit Egypt, I think is also clearly a typological prophecy of Jesus coming to, to visit humanity. And I think that the writer of the song that uh, spoke about uh, Lo How a Rose Are Blooming, that says when half spent was the night, I, I think that the writer of the song was referring to this passage right here. In fact, this passage, if you look in verse uh, 15, it says your all-powerful word leap from heaven. The word word is the word logos. In Greek, uh, that's the same word that we have in John uh, 1, where it says in the beginning was the Logos, in the beginning was the Word. And uh, here it says that your all-powerful Logos uh, leaped from heaven, from the royal throne. So Jesus, the Word, our Passover, came at night to destroy the works of the devil, to defeat death, to destroy earthly nations, to uh, redeem his people, to establish a new nation. And, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the angel of death to the to the world system and an angel of life to his own. So it says here as well that um, the the final thing on the screen there, he stood and filled all things with death. And um, some people may, you know, object to that saying, you know, Jesus came to give life and, and not death. But um, and, and while that's that's true. Uh, we also know from Second Timothy that Jesus will be the judge on the last day. And I think that the best way to look at this is the way in which the writer of the Wisdom of Solomon explains all these things. Um, each of the examples, he talks about how the Lord punished our enemies by the same means by which you called and glorified us. So he came, uh, and in his coming, it was a... It was a blow to the devil at the same time that it was a, a blessing and salvation to the to the people of God. So midnight is that time when the worst of the devil was confronted by by God, and and God wins. There's a biblical scholar, uh, Rabanus Maris, from the seven and eight hundreds. Uh, he wrote about this passage. 
He was a German monk and priest and commentator. And in his commentary, he wrote this. Uh, speaking of the um, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 18. It says that at midnight, Almighty God made his word, the Logos, descend from heaven from the royal throne like a ruthless champion in the midst of a land of slaughter to powerfully carry out the judgment of death on the godless. What is the word of the Lord, if not the Son of God, of whom John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, through whom everything was made. So the the tradition of a, of a midnight mass on Christmas Eve is, is one that still persists to this day in many of the high churches. So what does um what does all this mean? Like, who cares if Jesus was born at midnight? Well, um, I do, but <laughs> maybe just a, a few things to to consider about this. I think it's just amazing how God places these kinds of details in Scripture. Like how how brilliant it is that that God would um take the thought and effort to um to incorporate these ideas into into scripture like no no human could have created this plot in in writing uh, when moses wrote about the exodus he had no reason to make up any details about arriving at midnight and the same would be true about the the writer of the wisdom of solomon so um moving on then to the next thing i'd like to look at here I think that we have a pattern in scripture um, of how God delivers his people. And when God delivers his people, he comes at midnight. So we already talked about the Exodus at midnight. We talked about Jesus being born at midnight uh, based on that passage. But there's other things that happen at midnight as well. So you recall the story of Samson. He took those uh, city gates at Gaza. And uh, it's recorded that he did that at midnight. And uh, also in intertestamental literature, you have uh, Judith, who um, acted on her plan to destroy the, the Medes to kill Holofernes. And that happened at midnight as well. And then Paul and Silas, uh, we know what happened there. They were delivered from prison. When did that happen? That happened at midnight. And um, then in the New Testament, we have the story in Acts, about the the boy who was sitting in the window when Paul was preaching and he fell asleep, he fell out of the window. And then we have this um, miracle of resurrection at midnight. And in 100% of these cases, it's the people of God who are liberated at midnight. Like these are not just random things that happened at midnight, but every time, every one of these things that we have here, um, Jesus or God wins at that time. And in in putting this together, I wasn't selective at all, um, just to find midnight victories. I referred to every incident, every happening uh, story from the Bible where midnight is mentioned, except one, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But but you notice that um, each of these things are talking about not just incidentally saying when something happened. But they're talking about something that happened at midnight that was a win for God's side and a defeat of the devil. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and uh, suggest something that um, 
we could consider. And that is, is it possible that these midnight victories could be a hint of something eschatological as well? Like, is it possible that Jesus would return at midnight, um, thinking of like a, a spiritual midnight of the world? So in thinking about that, I'd like to return to this same passage that we looked at, 14 through 16, and I'd like to read this again and think now about Jesus' return. So first we read it thinking about the Exodus. Secondly, we read it thinking about the the coming of Jesus, but now of Jesus' return. For while gentle silence embraced everything, and you might think about what the scripture says, I think Jeremiah said that people will be saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And night at its own speed was half over at midnight. Your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of a doomed land, a relentless warrior carrying the sharp sword of your irrevocable command. Obviously um, mentioning of how the Lord is uh, destroying his enemies. And he stood and filled all things with death and touched heaven while standing on the earth. And on that last phrase, uh, if you'll recall, we talked about how in the census, uh, David was punished for that with an angel that David saw that was standing between heaven and earth. Well, interestingly, we have the same scene, almost word for word, in Revelation. And it says, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. And here it says that he's touching heaven while standing on earth. And Revelation says he raised up his hand to heaven while he's standing on the land and on the sea. I think that's uh, fascinating. So if um, if this world devolves into uh, deep wickedness before the Lord returns, like um, like we can be confident that we're not forgotten because we can see that you know the Lord is is awake at midnight and we don't need to be discouraged. By the, by the state of the world. So maybe the condemnation of the wickedness of the world and also maybe the resurrection of the just will be at midnight. And if you think about the story of Eutychus, where he was resurrected by Paul at midnight, is that possibly a, a foretelling? Is that possibly a foretelling of, um, of the resurrection that's going to happen broadly at midnight? So it, it could be asked, you know, is all of this just guesswork? Is there any indication that uh, the Lord is going to return at midnight? Well, I think there is. And in fact, uh, I had mentioned earlier, we looked at all the midnight references except one. And so here's the, the final one. And that is in Matthew 25, Jesus said that at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So at midnight, symbolically, is when God will return to judge the world. And in the in all the things that we looked at, all those other midnights were past. But in the one here about the the bridegroom returning for the prepared virgins at midnight would be one thing that's future. And uh, taking this list together is is everything that the scripture has to say about midnight. All the all, all the stories, at least that include any kind of reference of things happening at midnight. So one more thing that I think is interesting, uh, maybe as an application, is 
how this can illustrate God's willingness to come into our own personal midnight to bring liberation. So there's um, many biblical examples where people were liberated when things become desperately dark. So in the case of the Exodus, uh, there was slavery, there was no end in sight. And then, don't you know, the Lord shows up with the prodigal son. He was out there feeding the pigs. There's no way out. And don't you know, that's when um, he came to himself and, and there was um, uh, possibilities. In the story of Esther, the nation was uh, destined for destruction. And there was um, like suddenly the, the story changed. But each time the story changes, not when it's, you know, just halfway, you know, mediocre or something, but it changes at midnight. It changes when things are at, at the worst. You also have this in the case of Jonah. He was um, dying or some people think he already had died and was resurrected. In any case, um, it was at the worst when he was um, brought back. And uh, we mentioned the story of Judith. There was no uh, humanly possible way to, to save Israel. In the New Testament, we have uh, the issue of blood. The, the woman there for 12 years, she had uh, no help from the doctors. And instead, everything was going worse. And uh, it says that she had spent everything. So the the application would be, you know, what about you and, and me? So this is, a, I think, a message of hope for us that if we're in a bad place, that God can can meet us there. There's no need to hide. Uh, God wants to come into our darkest midnight and set us free. And if that's not our experience, then we can do what, what David said. David said that he... Um, arises at midnight. He says, at midnight I arose to give thanks to you because of the judgments of your righteousness. And um, that's that's all I have to share. A little bit shorter here this morning. But um, yeah, hopefully that can be a blessing. Hey, okay, very good. Thank you, Glenn. Um, and we'll have we'll open this up like normal for a time of um, maybe question and answer um, maybe some discussion but so i got a question that's maybe somewhat besides the point for glenn but why what so for uh, why is midnight not in the middle of the night do you have any thoughts on that yeah so it's not in the middle of the night according to our clocks um you know I, I don't know if middle of the night is when midnight had been, you know, previously considered to be midnight or not. Um, I don't know. Good question. I think so. In I was just talking to someone from a tropical air, tropical region or, or places where they're closer to the equator. The daylight hours stay more consistent in summer and winter, like, like for us in the Northern hemisphere here, we have or as far North as we are in Pennsylvania. Anyhow, we have much longer days in the summertime and much shorter in the winter. And of course we have daylight savings time that sets that off right now, um, changes that by an hour. Um, but I think in, in areas that are closer to the equator, it's often dark at six and light again at six. So then, then midnight is more close to the middle of the night. So you have so does, do any of the rest of you have some questions for Glenn?
Well, thank you, Len. You, you go ahead, Dan. Uh, who says that midnight doesn't happen at the middle of the night? I'm trying to look that up and see what that would be for today. Uh, oftentimes I, uh, see that, uh, when a question is put up, uh, that there is a, uh, preconceived notion in it that is, that is not, uh, established. So is, is it the case that, is it always the case that midnight doesn't happen in the middle of the night? I'm going to look that up and see if I can find that before we close. Yeah, I just uh thought that came to me was that I think often it is at the middle of the darkness, but it takes us a while to get to bed, right? It mm-hmm. takes us a while to wind down. But yeah, I you especially think about it in a in a country that's closer to the equator. I thought of it when I was down in uh Central America that there it's dark at six and light at six and so midnight definitely is the middle of your night. <clears throat> Yes, I have a word. Uh, this is Ezra Martin. I was listening in and I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, midnight, I think uh, God providentially arranged it that these different things took place in the Old Testament during that time. And uh, midnight is uh, certainly what is going to be the time in which our Lord will return again when the angels are going to come in the clouds of glory and take home to to himself all those that are ready and prepared to meet him. So may God help each of us to, to be ready. Uh, God bless uh, Glenn for sharing, and uh, God bless each of us as we go our way. Thank you. Yeah, Glenn, um, very, very stimulating um, and I have a couple thoughts here, but maybe uh, I'll put this up front. The idea of midnight, um, it, is that like a, a term that, that it could be midnight, <laughs> but it's also, I, I think, isn't there a term called the midnight of the soul? Uh, th- that, that term just, just came to mind right now. So it's like the darkest, maybe the, the, the bleakest time possibly. It's like when everything, like it's, it, it, there's not much happening. Humanity is quiet. <laughs> um, and, and it's like there's nothing going to happen. And that's when God shows up. It's not in, it's not at nine o'clock when we're all being productive, you know, or, or three, you know, it's, it's, it's that when no one thinks, um, he will show up. And so, uh, I, I think there's not only, yeah, so, you know, as, we, as you, you draw, you drew a storyline here of, of midnight, um, and, and, and that's, that's a powerful idea. When, when, when all things look, look impossible, you know, Paul mm-hmm. and Silas were singing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, um, but yeah, I, I did at first kind of resist the idea of tying the death angel to Jesus. The logos, <laughs> the incarnation coming. And I, I resisted that at first because it, you know, think of Luke 2. What, what did the angels say 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And I think of the death angel, that's the last thing I think of. Like, that was, that was an incredible, uh, punishment, uh, incredible judgment right there. Uh, but I, then I thought this, right then I just thought of some verses I read then in Second Corinthians just the other day. Um, and this is about, uh, God working through his people. And to the one, to, to some people, we are the rim, aroma of death leading to death. Hmm. And to others, the aroma of life leading to life. Um, yeah, amen. and also it talks too about, you know, Jesus, um, being, being that stumbling, uh, a stumbling block. Um, and, and so, and obviously Jesus will be the judge mm-hmm. too. Uh, and so, so it's like these, this idea in Jesus is, is, is grace and truth. Uh, and so, you know, maybe these two things aren't, aren't so far apart. So mm-hmm. yeah, thank you, um, uh, for, for leading us on that. Yes, thank you. And along with that, it's not a new idea of Jesus being a sword. So in a way, it does, it does fit, even though you'd think it doesn't. So yeah, thank you, Glenn. That was very, uh, interesting. I like your investigative, uh, approach to Bible study that that's really helpful. I love it. And I love all the types that are, that are hidden in the old Testament and, and even in this, uh, um, intertestament, uh, books. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So regarding, uh, the business of midnight, my rough figuring is that, uh, uh, today, uh, the sun rises about 7.12 and, uh, sets at, uh, 6.43. So that would mean that, uh, the night is 11, 11 hours and 31 minutes, half, or 30 minutes, halfway through that would be Five hours and 45 minutes. And that would put midnight at 1257. Now, we are in day, daylight saving time. So that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's really 1157. So that puts huh. midnight right about halfway between sunrise and sunset. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thanks for checking into that for us, Dan. That's interesting. I hope I got that right. If you all want to double check that, I mean, it's this early in the morning and dealing with the uh, cross dollar <laughs> saying I could have an error in there. <laughs> I, I often bungle uh, daylight saving time at each end, showing up for Sunday meeting at the wrong time. I think I did that this year, as a matter of fact. So, Bryant, to, to what you had mentioned there about uh, resisting the idea of Jesus being compared to the death angel, like, I, I get that. And uh, I think it's one of these cases where the same event is life to some and death to others. 
And uh, that's certainly what it was in the case of the Exodus. Um, and I think that's what we're going to, you know, have in the in the future when the Lord returns. Um, Revelation 2, somebody just put it in the quote here. It says, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the reins of the hearts. That's uh, talking about about Jesus being the, the judge. So, yeah, I think that um, it's the case where when the Lord destroys the wicked is salvation to the to the righteous. Mm-hmm. And someone also put on the chat here this uh, some reference to the song "Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah." Death of death and hell's destruction. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises, I will ever give to thee. Now that's interesting because I don't think that's the the text of that hymn that I'm using, that I'm familiar with, but maybe it's a different version or different verse. Yeah. Thank you. Any other, any other questions or comments? There's probably another an answer to this one, Glenn. Uh, but I talk to skeptics all the time and many of their comments are that in their darkest hour and people who were formerly Christians and lost their faith because in their darkest hour, Jesus didn't show up. Uh, And of course you have the Negro spiritual that says, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Then why not every man? Um, Do you have some comment on that? Like I said, that's an unanswerable question, I'm sure. But uh, that is, that is a, a complaint of the skeptics that at the time when they needed God the most in their darkest hour, this didn't happen. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, a difficult question that I think that the, that's incumbent then on the Christians to, to have an answer for. My, my personal belief is despite all the unfairness in the world, that ultimately, if all things considered, that the world is fair, that, that God is fair. And, uh, but not all that fairness is seen now. Um, so I think that ultimately, um, God is going to take all things into account when he, you know, makes his final judgment and, um, and sets all things right. But yeah, for, uh, for a time, temporarily, uh, there's a lot of, um, things that, that are not, um, right in the world. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's a, an answer for the, for the, for the skeptic who, who says, you know, that that's an excuse or something like that. Um, go ahead. You were going to say. Well, actually it was that dilemma that Job, that drove Job to see the resurrection when many people in his time did not see that. Uh, he believed God was just. He believed he was going to die before justice was served. And so, uh, it was out of that, out of that tremendous suffering and frustration with, uh, justice that didn't seem to be happening that he believed that because God is just, then there had to be a life beyond this life when all things would be resolved. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting.
there's a there's a <clears throat> passage here in Romans nine, I think it is, where Paul says referring to Pharaoh that you know, God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he'll harden whom he wants to harden. And then there's another place that y'all would maybe know, someone would know where Paul says some things are made for noble purposes and some are made for ignoble. And it's, this is simply my thought. I'm not saying this is true that God thinks this way, but you know, maybe some of us are made to do bad things. <laughs> yeah. And maybe some of us are made by God to do good things. It's, it's a, it's a scary, you know, kind of a trembling kind of a thought. But, uh, again, you know, why, why would, would the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? It was another phrase that Paul used. And then he says, oh, the, the depths and the riches of the knowledge of God. You know, so <laughs> these are wondrous things you're mentioning, Glenn, and uh, wondrous things that uh, many of these hymn writers have tried to articulate over the centuries. Um, but it does make me think of fear and trembling. <laughs> so thank you so much, Glenn, for for uh, studying these things. And like Justin said, kind of doing the private eye work for us and just uh, helping us appreciate God's immense beauty all the more. Thank you very much. Yep. yep, you're welcome. Thank you. I just add a thought to what was just said about God creating some for uh, to for evil or however that was said. I I would caution that we don't want to plant the thought in anybody's mind that. I, I'm just created for evil and there's no hope for me. And, you know, it, it does say that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should be saved, if I'm not quite quoting that right. But I just thought I'd put that little caution in. I, I fully agree with that, too. That's another scripture, absolutely, that makes us wonder just the the depths and the riches of God's wisdom. You know, <laughs> he's the creator. We are the created. But absolutely, Paul also said that, yeah, he's wants all men to be saved. I think that's First Timothy 2, maybe. Beautiful. Now, Glenn, would you say the Lord returning at midnight, would you say would that be midnight over Jerusalem or midnight over North America or midnight where? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. So I think it's a similar question that could be asked about any of these events that that happen at midnight. So obviously in the case of the Exodus, um, it was midnight, I believe, at their local time there. But um when we're not talking about um, the Exodus and instead we're talking about, you know, some future event, um, I, I don't know, you know, what that's going to look like, but um, I would, I would view the midnight in the, in the future as being a, a spiritual midnight, not necessarily a, a certain time per time zone for 24 hours. So yeah, I, I would certainly not be one to make the claim that, 
um, it's going to be midnight in one specific um, strategic spot on the earth. Uh, that's not where I was going with that. I vote for Jerusalem. That's the center of everything in the Bible. Okay. Well, thank you all for your thoughts. Um, we're, we still have a little bit. It's not quite seven o'clock. So if you have any, any last thoughts or comments, bring it right now. We'll close up soon. If not, somebody, uh, put a verse on the chat that I thought was worth noting and it stands out to me in connection to this topic. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death. I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from thine, mine eyes. Hosea 13, 14. That's an interesting connection there to Jesus and the death angel. Mm-hmm. And, and Glenn, do you, could you answer this question for me? This would be maybe 12 hours of a, a topic, but, uh, how did, the Old Testament people think of heaven and hell. I, I, I've had Jewish friends of mine, you know, in my life say they, they don't, they don't believe in heaven or hell. They, they really think we just die. And we, you know, do you have any, uh, 30 second answer to that large question? <laughs> yeah, it is, um, it is a large question. And, um, I don't know that I can answer this in 30 seconds, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's pretty obvious that the, the Old Testament perception of the afterlife is quite different than um, what we, you know, have come to understand today. If you if you look at like the Book of Ecclesiastes, a lot of people point to the. Uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but kind of the, the sad outlook on life that the writer of Ecclesiastes had towards uh, death. You know, everything's just vanity and we're all going to just end. And um, I, I think that was actually broader than just uh, that writer there. Like, it seems to me like they believe that um, that when they die, they go to the grave. Um, I'm not saying that's the case everywhere. Uh, I think that was... Uh, far stronger in a, a far stronger sense that they had at that time. Uh, the idea that we die and go to heaven or something like that. Um, I don't, I don't see that in the old Testament. Thank you. Of course you have Martha speaking to Jesus and she refers to the general resurrection. So there was some thought in the Jewish uh, religion that there would be a resurrection. Yeah, so you definitely have that like in the intertestamental literature. Uh, if you have the, the seven brothers who were martyred there in, uh, second Maccabees seven, uh, there, like four of those brothers are talking about the, the resurrection. Uh, they're saying to, to the king, uh, who was at Antiochus Epiphanes, they're saying like, you can go kill my body, you can dismember me, but you know what, I'm going to have my body parts reclaimed in the resurrection. So they're talking not only of some, um, spiritual whatever, but, but a physical, uh, restoration of the body. Um, 
Yeah, so Martha's comment, that's uh, interesting. Um, yeah, fascinating stuff. I, don't, I think the Old Testament supports an afterlife. And an example would be um, Saul seeking uh, an audience with the already deceased Samuel, and Samuel actually shows up. Now, if death is obliteration and oblivion, where did uh, Samuel come from uh, when the witch of Andor conjured him? Of course, the most telling statement about it is what Jesus said, that uh, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Okay, well, thank you, everyone, for what you shared. And then we even got some extra content here on the end from Glenn. So that was that was like a, um, yeah, that was a bonus. <laughs> um, uh, we're gonna, I think we're gonna, we're gonna bring this to a close here. Uh, we do have next, and uh, two weeks from now, we have the, the top on um, strength of strength. S- next two weeks from now on Saturday, we have the first great commission by John. I believe that's a fictional name. So this is a, look forward to hearing that. Um, and also for the women in your life, brothers, um, the intentional there's a there's an intentional growth through reflecting and prayer journaling by Dorcas Dorcas I don't have the last name there of her but she's sharing this afternoon so you can let 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 the ladies in your life know if they're not aware of that um but yeah thank you Glenn for sharing thanks for all your comments everyone and Glenn would you lead us in a closing prayer here sure let's pray Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you can meet us anytime, any place. We thank you for your word that we can, we can read. And we thank you for the word who, um, who has come to grant us, um, the opportunity for, for salvation. Lord, we, uh, are grateful for all that you have done for us. We want to praise you and lift your name high. We, um, ask that you would, um, Help us to, to grow in you. Help us to learn of you. And uh, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And we pray that um, you may continue to, to walk with us through life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. And God bless your day. And we'll see you again here. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.